bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 27, 2015. First of all, I'd like to note that today is the 25th anniversary of Congress passing the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1990, or OBRA, 1990. It was signed by President George H.W. Bush about a week later, and this bill extended the low-income housing tax credit through the end of 1991. And as you likely know, the program was extended permanently in 1993. We'll start off our podcast this week with the general news section. We'll all have plenty of news from Washington. I'll have updates on the pending Speaker of the House election, information on the upcoming highway and transportation funding deadline, and a look at the approaching deadline to raise the national debt ceiling. In our affordable housing section, I'll talk about the 2016 low-income housing tax credit and private activity bond caps. After that, I'll discuss a new public housing bill that could influence a markup of a HUD reform bill. And then, in state-level news, I'll share highlights of California's newly adopted regulations for its allocation of low-income housing tax credits. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll discuss the official opening of the New Market Tax Credit 2015 funding round. I'll highlight what you need to know about applications and important dates to remember. In related news, I'll talk about how the CDFI fund is allowing certain military bases to more easily qualify for the New Market Tax Credit, as well as I'll provide some updates to compliance FAQs. After that, we'll move to historic tax credits, and I'll talk about new guidance from the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation concerning the use of real property transferred out of federal ownership. And then we'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit discussion, where I'll let you know which California city is officially endorsing the extension of the Federal Energy Investment Tax Credit. If you're ready, let's get started. As you've heard by now, House Ways and Means Chairman Paul Ryan announced last Thursday that he is officially running for Speaker of the House. His announcement comes two weeks after House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy pulled out of the race because he didn't have wide enough support. Most people expected McCarthy to take over as Speaker after current Speaker John Boehner announced his intention to retire. But Boehner has said he'll stay on until a new Speaker is elected. When McCarthy dropped his bid, Republican leaders urged Ryan to run in his place. For two weeks, Ryan insisted he was not running for the Speakership. For those inside and outside Washington, they kept speculating that he would change his mind, since he was under pressure to reconsider. And it turns out they were right. Ryan softened his stance early last week when he said he would consider running for Speaker if he could get the support of the three main Republican House groups. Over the course of last week, two groups, the Tuesday group, composed of moderates, and the Republican Study Committee, composed of conservatives, officially backed him. As for the third group, the Freedom Caucus, 70% of members indicated that would, they would support him, a supermajority, if you will. But that's still short of the 80% extra supermajority agreement that's needed for a formal endorsement, 
but Ryan did take the 70% support as a strong show of support anyway, and it probably means that Ryan should receive well above the necessary threshold to become Speaker. And so Ryan announced his candidacy last Thursday. Now the next step is for the 247 House Republicans to nominate a new Speaker on Wednesday, and Ryan only needs 124 votes to be nominated. And then the full House will vote on Thursday, where Ryan needs 218 votes to be elected Speaker. So if Ryan does become Speaker of the House, the next question is, who will replace him as head of the Ways and Means Committee? Well, it looks like there are two, maybe three, frontrunners. For sure, Representative Pat Tiberi from Ohio and Representative Kevin Brady from Texas, and possibly Representative Devin Nunes from California. The tax credit community knows Representative Tiberi is a longtime supporter of the low income housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, and historic tax credit. Tiberi this session introduced a bill that would make permanent and expand the temporary minimum credit rate for the low income housing tax credit. And he introduced a bill to permanently extend the new markets tax credit. Further, he's expected to be an original co sponsor of a bill to improve the historic tax credit, which could be introduced this week. It's going to be an interesting race both for the speakership and for the leadership of the House Ways and Means Committee. Representative Nunes, I should note, is currently the Intelligence Committee chairman who serves at the discretion of the speaker. So we would have to give up that gavel to be in the running for Ways and Means chair. If Ryan were elected Speaker of the House, who would you like to see take his place as Ways and Means Committee chairman? I've posted this question on Twitter, so feel free to respond to it directly. My handle is at Novogratik. In other news, Congress is expected to pass a short-term extension of highway and transportation spending authorization before the current authorization expires this Thursday, October 29th. It's expected to last until November 20th. The House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee marked up a bipartisan bill last Thursday. The legislation would make up to $325 billion available for transportation projects over the next six years. The measure includes $261 billion for highways and $55 billion for transit and $9 billion for safety programs. Now, the hitch is Congress still needs to figure out how to pay for the final three years of the six-year plan. At one point, the bill appeared to be a potential legislative vehicle to carry extenders legislation, but that appears less likely now. What could happen if Congress fails to act on a transportation bill soon? Well, the Department of Transportation has said it will cut back on payments to states and local governments for infrastructure projects as early as November. Now, the bill is called the Surface Transportation Reauthorization and Reform Act of 2015, or H.R. 3763. The next issue Congress needs to tackle is the approaching deadline to raise the national debt ceiling. To be clear, raising the debt limit does not mean authorizing new spending. Rather, it lets the government issue new debt to pay for items it has already approved. The date to raise the debt ceiling is coming up fast. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew warned that the debt limit needs to be addressed by next Tuesday, November 3rd. Extraordinary measures to keep the country's debt below the statutory limit will be exhausted by then, Secretary Lew predicts. If Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling, the country will default on its debts. Some hardline Republicans have wanted to use debt limit negotiations as a way to leverage concessions on some of President Obama's policies. But the president has insisted he will not negotiate the debt ceiling. House leaders have to deal with the fact that not enough Republicans are willing to raise the debt limit via a straight clean debt limit raising bill. Insiders say about 10 Republicans are in favor of a clean bill, and about 30 Republicans are needed for passage, 
if they get all the Democratic votes. Now, Democrats have said they're only interested in a clean debt limit bill, meaning no riders or strings attached. Now, because many House Republicans are likely to vote against any bill to increase the debt limit, even with certain riders or strings attached, Democratic votes are going to be needed for a debt limit increase to pass, clean bill or not. But even if somehow a debt limit increase bill with policy riders passes Congress, as I said, President Obama has pledged to veto such a bill. Now, in late-breaking news on Tuesday, really started Monday night, there's been a lot of discussions, and they've been heating up quite loudly, about a possible two-year budget agreement. This two-year budget agreement would deal with caps and spending for two years and would also address the pending debt ceiling and transportation funding challenges. So please stay tuned for more updates. As we learn more about a possible two-year fiscal agreement, we'll send out tweets as well as post something on the Novogratic blog. In affordable housing news, the IRS last week announced the inflation-adjusted caps for the low-income housing tax credit as well as private activity bonds for 2016. The low-income housing tax credit, as you likely know, is adjusted annually by a consumer price inflator. The adjustment generally increases five cents a year based on rounding metrics used in the statute. And that's what's happened this year. For calendar year 2016, the low-income housing tax credit ceiling for states is the greater of $2.35 multiplied by the state population, or $2.69 million. Now, these amounts are up from 2.3 per capita and $2.68 million in 2015. My partner, Stacy Stewart, in our Dover, Ohio office noted how encouraging it is to see the low-income housing tax credit population multiplier for 2016 increase to keep up with rising inflation and, more importantly, demand for affordable housing. I note that there was no increase in this factor from 2014 to 2015. Meanwhile, the 2016 state ceiling volume cap for private activity bonds is the greater of $100 multiplied by the state population, and that $100 figure is the same as 2015, or $302 million, approximately. And that $302 million number is up from $301 million the previous year. For more information, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. In other news, a bill was introduced last week to facilitate the use of the Project-Based Housing Choice Voucher Program. And if passed, the bill would give public housing authorities, PHAs, more flexibility to develop new housing units in areas where vouchers are difficult to use. Project-based vouchers are often used in low-income housing tax credit developments. Provisions in the bill include changes to increase the percentage limitation on the number of vouchers that can be project-based, income mixing of properties with project-based voucher assistance is expanded, and lengthens contract terms from 15 to 20 years to allow for greater leverage. The legislation is called the Project-Based Voucher Improvement Act of 2015. This bill was introduced by Representative Maxine Waters, ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee. And there's a good chance that portions of this legislation could be incorporated in a markup of H.R. 3700, which is a bipartisan HUD reform bill that is expected soon. The HUD reform bill is sponsored by House Financial Services Housing Subcommittee Chairman Bill Lutkemeyer, a Republican from Missouri, and Ranking Member Emanuel Cleaver, a Democrat from Missouri. In the meantime, you can read more about both bills at www.hudresourcecenter.com. In state-level news, 
The California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, last week posted adopted regulations for its low-income housing tax credit program. The original proposals were released in July, and the final proposed changes were released earlier this month. Here are some of the major changes. They are extensive, so you do need to review the regs yourself to identify all the changes that will impact your developments. As I mentioned last week, a mandate was withdrawn that would have required developers of new housing to contribute a share of net equity from future property sales into an affordable housing trust fund. The local housing tax credit working group, I should note, was among many industry participants that pushed for the contribution mandate to be withdrawn. Another change, for developers of 4% taxes and bond credit transactions, please note that the maximum developer fee that may be included in project costs and eligible basis is 15% of the project's unadjusted eligible basis. That's for new construction or rehabilitation. Also note, all developer fees exceeding $2.5 million plus $10,000 per unit per tax credit unit over one hundred. Should, shall be deferred or contributed as equity to the project. Also, minimum rehabilitation project costs have increased from 10000 to 15000 in hard construction costs, or 20% at the building's adjusted basis. We also have some good news for property management companies. As you know, California requires that properties with 60 number of units have an on-site manager's unit, and those with at least 161 units must provide a second manager's unit. Well, the good news for property managers and, more importantly, property owners, is that TCAC will allow property managers to commit an equivalent number of full-time on-site property management staff and desk or security staff in lieu of on-site manager units. For a copy of the adopted regulations, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. Next, we have big news in our new market tax credit section. As you know by now, the CDFI fund officially opened the 2015 funding round of the New Market Tax Credit Program last week. Actually, it came out on the Wednesday afternoon of our New Market Tax Credit Conference in Chicago. The Notice of Allocation Availability, or NOAA, makes $5 billion in tax credit authority available under the calendar year 2015 round. Now, that's, of course, subject to authorization by Congress. The New Market Tax Credit Program has been expired since the end of 2014. However, the program is included in the package of tax extenders that lawmakers plan to consider this year, even though the dollar amounts were likely to be $3.5 billion to $3.9 billion as opposed to the full $5 billion. Under the 2015 NOAA, applications are due December 16th, and the CDFI fund expects to announce recipients in the summer of 2016. Allocation applicants that are not yet certified as community development entities must submit an application for certification as a CDE by November 6th in order to be eligible to submit a new market tax credit application. Application information has been posted online at www.newmarketscredits.com. Again, the important dates to remember are November 6th for CDE certification and December 16th for the new markets tax credit application. There are a few significant changes in the 2015 new markets tax credit application. I can only cover a few here. One is adding military bases that were closed through the process known as BRAC, to those that get a boost in qualifying criteria. Another was guidance on the use of qualified equity investments to repay or refinance debts to a party whose capital was used to fund the qualified equity investment. First, let's look at the change involving BRAC sites. The BRAC acronym stands for Base Realignment and Closure. BRAC is a process that the federal government used to close military bases after the end of the Cold War. More than 350 military installations have been closed in five rounds, the most recent round in 2005. 
These closures left many communities struggling to replace jobs and decide what to do with large tracts of property. These areas will now receive credit toward being considered areas of higher distress. New markets tax credit proposals that have at least 75% of investment in areas considered higher distress get favorable scores for allocations. There are two ways that, are, that areas are considered higher distressed. The first is by meeting one of three criteria that satisfy the qualifications themselves. The other is to meet two of 14 qualifications from another list. Being a BRAC site is now on that list of 14 qualifications. My partner Owen Gray in our San Francisco office said with respect to this change that it'll help make BRAC areas more attractive for new market tax credit development. Owen observed that virtually all CDEs require close to 100% of their borrowers to be located in higher distressed communities. And by changing the definition of higher distressed communities to include BRAC communities, they'll be more readily accessible to below market new market tax credit financing. Meanwhile, the application for this allocation round also includes new guidance on how qualified equity investments are used. Starting with this round, QEIs cannot be used to make qualified low-income community investments in a qualified active low-income community business in certain circumstances. Namely, the QEI can't be used as money to repay debt providers or equity providers who use capital to fund the QEI, except for one of two exceptions. The two exceptions of the rule are if the proceeds pay off reasonable recent expenditures that are directly attributable to the qualified business, or if no more than 5% of the qualified low-income community investment proceeds are used to repay or refinance a prior investment in the qualified low-income community business. Owen notes that this is significant because the change may, or probably does, unfortunately, negatively affect more significantly nonprofit qualified low-income community business transactions by limiting the amount of costs that may be financed through the New Market Tax Credit Program. To learn more about this year's New Market Tax Credit application, I encourage you to sign up for the Novogratic 2015 New Market Tax Credit application webinar. The webinar will be Thursday, November 12th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. My partner, Nicola Pinoli, from our Portland, Oregon office, will be the instructor. Nicola has worked on dozens of successful New Market Tax Credit applications, and he'll offer application tips and strategies while walking attendees through the application process. I highly encourage those of you interested in applying for Tax Credit Authority to attend the webinar. You can register at www.novaco.com slash webinars. In historic tax credit news, the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation last week issued guidance on the use of real property that is transferred out of federal ownership. The guidance is intended to help those who manage the property to develop plans to remain designated as historic, and that review is conducted by the National Endowment for the Humanities. The review comes under Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966. This act requires that agencies take into account the effects of their undertakings on historic properties. The National Historic Preservation Act, of course, requires the federal government to act as a steward of historic properties. Often, property that is transferred from federal ownership is renovated using historic tax credits. So the ACHP guidance is helpful, particularly where it addresses the role of the prospective owner to whom the historic property will be transferred. As you know, agencies often use covenants or easements to ensure the long-term preservation of the property when they transfer ownership. Those are called preservation conditions, and the National Historic Preservation Act requires that when the federal government transfers a historic property, it must include the preservation conditions. The ACHP guidance addresses that, including roles and responsibilities for parties in the transaction, 
recommended stipulations of preservation conditions, and fees and enforcement of the conditions. The purpose of the guidance is to help federal agencies and to educate both stakeholders and the public about preservation conditions. You can see the guidance at the website for the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation. That's at www.achp.gov. Moving on to our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit receives endorsements from groups that range from builders and investors to nonprofits and advocacy groups. We can now add to that list municipal government. The City Council of Bakersfield, California, passed a resolution urging Congress to immediately extend the investment tax credit. If no action is taken by December 31, 2016, the investment tax credit will decrease from 30% to 10% for commercial installations and will go away altogether for residential projects. The resolution passed by Bakersfield City Council is more than just a symbolic move. Officially endorsing the extension of the, best, of the investment tax credit shows that the program not only affects businesses, but entire economies. The resolution passed by the Bakersfield City Council states that the solar industry adds more than $15 billion to the U.S. economy and that the solar energy industry is growing nearly 20 times faster than the overall economy. Furthermore, the resolution calls the solar industry one of the fastest-growing job creators, employing more than 170,000 people across the country. And solar employs 54,000 in California alone. A further note, nearly $413 million dollars has been invested on Bakersfield solar installation since 2010, this according to the Solar Energy Industries Association. Losing the ITC would lead to significant job loss in Bakersfield, across California and beyond, the resolution noted. Copies of the resolution will be sent to the Speaker of the House of Representatives, whoever that may be, to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and to each California Senator and Representative in the U.S. Congress. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And as a reminder, we're always accepting suggestions for podcast topics. To submit your questions or ideas, go to www.novoco.com podcast. On the left-hand side, you'll see a link that says, Suggest a Podcast Topic. Click on the link, fill out the form. I'm looking forward to hearing your suggestions. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.